Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru. I'm your host, Eric McCroskey, and really excited to have with me Kunal Chopra, who is one of the best process reengineering customer experience leaders that I've ever got to see the work that he's done. He looks at things from an end-to-end standpoint, uh, very, very good in terms of the approaches, how he looks at things, and how he drives exceptional transformation. So Kunal, really happy to have you on the show. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and what got you in this space uh, and, and maybe at a high level, some of the, the awesome work that you've done across industries. Uh, first off, Eric, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm very excited about this as well. So just in terms of my background very quickly, uh, 20 years um, in the working world now, 15 of which have been entirely focused on large-scale end-to-end transformation, really challenging the way customer or companies deliver service on an end-to-end basis. And by that, I mean looking at how a customer wants to be served regardless of channels and then working backwards to measure, improve, and optimize every aspect of a company's ability to operate and serve a client, whether that be process-focused, uh, technology-focused, human capital-focused, uh, digitally-focused, uh, you name it. Uh, data, for mm-hmm. me, forms a center around kind of the methodology. Uh, you, know, you know, it's all about measuring and improving. Yep based on measurement, mm-hmm. you know, bringing somewhat of a kind of lean approach to uh, the customer service world. Um, I fundamentally take a view that customer service is not just about uh, the frontline employee. It's a much bigger puzzle to solve, uh, and it's yep. really a puzzle around end-to-end operating enablement. So we need to enable our employees through processes that are efficient through technology that is user-friendly and can give them the information they need at the time they need it to serve employees through business rules and through accountabilities that are defined and allow them the flexibility to do their job. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very much a, a, a puzzle that needs to be solved. The yep. crux of my work, uh, sorry, the crux of my work have been uh, has been focused in financial services leading really large-scale, uh, you know, client-centric transformations across complete lines of business uh, for large uh, Canadian and international banks, um, complete mortgage line of business transformation, complete commercial credit strategy and transformation in the insurance world, having done a large-scale transformation at a large uh, Canadian uh, insurer as well, uh, as well as, uh, you know, smaller to mid-sized companies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the background. 
Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. And I think with the part that has always impressed me is most people shy away from looking at the antenna and they're they're worried about uh it's too big, too complicated, but you found a way consistently to look at things from an antenna standpoint, but then be able to do things in a in a simpler uh simpler way that doesn't take years to, to complete. Uh, so today, I, I want to talk about an incredibly important topic. So 2008 was an incredible recession, um, particularly in, in large parts of the world. The U.S. got hit very, very hard. But at the end of the day, it looks like, by all accounts, we'll know very soon, but it was only a dry run for what we're about to see with COVID-19 and global pandemic uh, and the impact from a financial standpoint. Too many people are starting to think about, what do I do in the customer experience space? Is that still something I should invest in? Or should I just conserve cash and, and, and ignore the issue? So, so today we're going to talk about that very topic in terms of um, the business case essentially for customer experience and looking at things from an end-to-end -end standpoint. I'd love for you to share a couple of stories and anecdotes in terms of the, the value behind it. So first I'd like to, to have you jump into one of your examples uh, in regards to a mortgage company and, and share a little bit about some of the value and the opportunities that existed there. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, this was actually a recent piece of work, uh, Eric. Again, this is a, a very large uh, Canadian mortgage insurance company. Uh, sorry, a mortgage company. It, what uh, we did there was really look at the link between customer segmentation, service, and profitability. So to build on that, it was really an exercise of understanding what um, – what the client segmentation base of this organization is, who are the brokers that tell mm -hmm. this organization their business, how large are they, both in terms of size as well as the dollar value of business that they send at this particular mortgage company. And then what we did is followed, or using data, created the link to one transactional uh, experience and process. Um, mm -hmm. So we went and looked at kind of broker by broker how is the organization you know, delivering against its service standards uh, as well as yep. its philosophy uh, for each one of those brokers? So, you know, were they giving brokers who were deemed to be quote unquote status, uh, which is, you know, generally mm -hmm. a, a dollar threshold in sales, better service um, yep. and, and, you know, paying more attention to them, better SLAs, um, more human interaction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or, or, or was service kind of standardized? Um, and then, you know, uh -huh. the second part around that was then taking the same brokers and segmentation and, and saying, okay, you know, if this broker is truly a quote-unquote status broker, do they deserve to uh -huh. be? And, and the piece of the problem right. there was really, you know, if they're sending you X dollars of, of business a year to obtain this status, how efficient is that business? What is the work effort internally associated with it? And do they truly, is it truly efficient and profitable business from your perspective? Or is it business that creates a lot of churn, a lot of effort internally? And one of the things we actually learned through this study was if you looked at, uh, you know, some of these quote unquote status brokers uh, uh, on a national basis, a, the internal performance against them wasn't uh, differentiated, so it was very similar to non-status. So this was an internal opportunity for the, the mortgage company to really mm. challenge itself and say, you know, status does not, we are not delivering upon a differentiated status experience. 
But two, when we went and looked at the profitability, what we actually understood or found was across the board nationally, the rework involved in, in some of these brokers actually was fairly substantial and cost the company a million dollars a year, roughly, mm. uh, in rework. rework. So yep. two things. One, you're giving away you know, better pricing and better rates to these status brokers, but two, so you're paying for it on, on the, the top line area, uh, and two, on the bottom line area with respect to operations, it's actually creating a million dollars worth of churn internally and rework. Wow. Um, simply because applications work complete um, and, and other you know, types of issues. So there was a, a real eye-opener amongst management around profitability. And in, you know, in, a, in the world we live in right now, um, uh-huh. you know, to your earlier point, um, every business is challenged, both from a growth perspective and a cost perspective. So here's an opportunity to use data to measure experience and, and link it to profitability, uh, which revealed pretty substantial service improvement opportunities as well as profitability opportunities. Mm, phenomenal. And I think this, this topic around differentiation is something that, that's so relevant in a lot of organizations, but here you've been able to link it back to profitability and ultimately that's, that's the goal you're trying to achieve uh, from a customer experience standpoint is you're doing it at the end of the day, not just for the sake of, of doing great customer experience, but you're doing it so that it has an impact on the bottom line. So that's a really interesting example. Um, do, you, do you want to share maybe another example? I know we've, we've talked about before about uh, some work that you were doing in a, in a credit union environment. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a colleague and I just finished up some work in a credit union in um, the New York State area, a fairly large credit union, well-established in the community, has uh, some very interesting um, and strong business agreements with uh, large auto dealership conglomerates in the area. Um, sure. And, you know, again, what we learned here was a similar approach Start with the dealers themselves, go and understand the service experience that they desire, largely sure. driven through you know, one-on-one conversations uh, with each of these dealers, um, mm-hmm. and then really link it backwards to, if we looked at the persp- or, or the experience they wanted, how are we performing process-wise, technology-wise, human capital-wise uh, against those experiences uh, or desired experience? Uh, data played a key role mm-hmm. in this, again, as well. Uh, I think the interesting opportunity here was, or, or the interesting finding was, yes, there's, a, again, a lot of opportunity to to really improve um, overall experience through broad enablement, whether it's human capital, whether it's process, whether it's technology and digital platforms, uh, whether it's business rules. We found business rules that were very limiting as well in terms of how we serve um, uh, many of these dealers, if not all of them. But the really interesting piece here was, again, using data and getting down into almost Dealer-level segmentation and dealer-level analysis, what we learned was in certain places where we had, uh, or this organization had, fairly substantial and strong business agreements, which did come mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a commission that was fairly generous yep. uh, from the credit union's perspective back to these dealers, we learned that even despite that, their customer service was failing in certain ways that many of the sales agents at these dealers chose not to do business with them. 
despite the commission mm. uh, and despite the agreements. They were simply so frustrated that they chose to take <laughs> their business elsewhere, right? And, and this was eye-opening again for the management team uh, simply because of the strength of these relationships, the commission structures in place, that sales agents would simply say, you know what, it's not worth it. Uh, and I ultimately end up <laughs> losing customers uh, because of speed right. and because of touch points and because of inexperience, right? So, again, here's a situation where client experience was, again, a broader enablement issue. Uh, using data, we were yep. able to pinpoint specific process opportunities, specific human capital opportunities, um, specific risk opportunities. But again, mm -hmm. lost business, right? Which is something that I don't think anybody yep. in this environment can afford at this point. No, you can't, absolutely can't. And, and But again, it, it ties into uh, what you're talking about, differentiation for segmentation, really understanding who your customers are. I, I love here in terms of kind of really looking at things from an end-to-end -end standpoint, because people think they're doing the right things they're creating incentives to, to buy new work, but maybe those incentives aren't, aren't really delivering the value you want, um, but driving the right customer experience is, is often a cheaper way to get that, that retention, the stickiness. Um, so really interesting scenario as well. Uh, so so we've and talked I, about, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I think that's a key point, right? I think the point I, I really want to stress, or one of the key points is client experience is so much more than just having a, a great frontline employee uh, right. who has knowledge and, and knows the right things to say, right? It's really a complete picture of enablement uh, and mm -hmm. measurement that drives this, right? And we can talk about things like NPS, which, you know, so high level. I'm generally not a fan of NPS surveys uh, right. simply because they offer such limited insight into what impressed or what didn't impress um, the particular client, right? It's, sure. you know, a general question around, will you refer uh, me to your friends and family? Yes or no? Yep. Or one to 10? Yes. Right. But beyond that, the insight that's derived from that, the ability of the end client to share more is so limited that, that, that I really find these surveys to be of, uh, of limited value. And I think the, the other piece is there, the, the value, I would agree, quite a bit of limitations around it. Uh, but the other piece is so many organizations just collect the information, do nothing with it. Uh, they don't even try mm -hmm. to tie a feedback loop or figure out wh where the area of opportunity is. And the other part, my, my challenge with NPS is intellectually, it's an interesting metric. Uh, it's stimulating and, and so forth. But from a, how do, what do I do with it? It's, it's highly problematic because as a team member, I don't really know how to improve NPS. Uh, and in most organizations, they're not even able to tie NPS back to journey because uh, it's too often post-transaction, which is only a small facet of, of what you're actually dealing with in the journey. Yep, no, I fully agree with everything you've said. Uh, so, so we've talked about uh, the, the, the credit unit and, and we talked about kind of auto dealerships. Um, auto dealerships, I, I know we've had conversations around this. It's a model that in my mind is, is very antiquated uh, and people haven't adapted this. There's a couple of organizations that have really seen a different perspective, uh, but most of them seem to want to keep on living the same old, same old and haven't woken up to, to change it. So can you, can you share me a little bit of your thoughts in terms of what's changing in an industry like this and why it's so important to, to in, in an environment like this to constantly be rethinking your model uh, around customers? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the auto industry was notorious uh, up until, I'd say, a few years ago for a complete void of transparency uh, in with respect to pricing. Um, and then yep. using that to really, I, I would go as far as saying intimidate uh, customers, right? Sure. So, uh, you know, nobody had any transparency on what a car actually cost a dealer, what their margin was on that particular automobile, and were simply left to, you know, their own negotiating power, um, which yep. was fairly limited unless you were very skilled in the art of negotiation. What emerged probably seven, eight years ago, you started to see websites like uh, Car Cost Canada um, and Unhaggle emerge on the internet, and I'm sure there, there's a plethora of others that emerged on the internet where, you know, you could actually go as a consumer, um, pay a small fee for some of these sites. Uh, in other cases, they were entirely free. Select a model of a car, a make, a year, et cetera, and you would be able to get mm -hmm. uh, pretty much instantly uh, dealer pricing on that particular automobile. Right. So uh, it, my sure. wife and I actually used uh, one of those two sites seven years ago to get dealer pricing on a car. Uh, the next day after you know, going through this site, a dealer in, in the, the Toronto area actually called us and said, look, I know you know my cost base. I'm willing to sell you the mm -hmm. car at the cost you saw plus 3%, which we thought to be yep. you know, very open and transparent. Uh, and, and drove yep. to the other end of Toronto and bought a car from him two days later, right? Mm -hmm. But what still emerges is this mentality that, that, you know, dealers still have pricing, a, a lack of transparency amongst consumers, let's put it that way, sure. which isn't the case. And they still operate under these assumptions. And in fact, in January, I was looking at a car, went into a dealership. Was that a place where I was ready to negotiate and really to have the conversation that, yes, I know your pricing, and they didn't want to hear it. Right, and and that, it was back to well, let me go get my sales manager, and and you know, let's have this old right. educated, right? And, and, model, and right? My com my comment back to them was, I don't live in that world, and and funny enough, here's what I do for a living. But you know, even if I wasn't doing that, the information is available to every consumer, and so yep. here's what I'm willing to do, and if you want to go back to your model, I'm just going to go to another dealership. Uh, and and yep. ultimately walked out because they weren't willing to have the, the appropriate conversation based on fact, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's, a, it's a model where, again, you lived in a world where you had full power over the conversation. We live in a world now where data and transparency and the sharing of information is instant. You cannot continue right. to operate your business in the old manner because people will simply pick up and leave. You know, not to mention on top of the world as it's changed in the last several months and, and you know, people not wanting to walk into car dealerships, uh, wanting more of the online experience, which I would say only a few dealerships are actually yep. set up and enabled to deliver uh, because it is such an in-person, uh, you know, touch and feel type of experience. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity here for car dealers to really think about a different model driven fundamentally off transparency, uh, centered around mm -hmm. the consumer, and a knowledge-based conversation versus a dealer-has-the-power conversation. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And I, I think I, I start seeing some dealerships start embraces. So many don't want to, to, to accept it. Uh, I know last time I, I bought a vehicle, it was basically, um, I, I don't want to come to a showroom. I know exactly what I want. I know what inventory you've got because it's available on your website. Uh, and this is the price I'm willing to pay. Uh, and if you're not interested, I'll go elsewhere. 
Um, and, and what you're, you're, I think is you're going to start seeing is more and more informed shoppers that really do you need to go to the dealership. You could pretty much do everything virtually and get an Amazon-like delivery. Uh, and if it's not done, I think somebody else will come and do it, and that will displace the traditional model at some point. So uh, I, I think a great example on the, on the car dealership side, uh, but I think the same concept applies to so many other uh, uh, industries that haven't really adapted uh, to it. So, so on that topic, maybe we can transition a little bit to uh, the telco space and, and particularly some of the experiences there and, and, and another industry that, that tends to rely on, on an antiquated kind of view in many regards of what the customer journey looks like. Yeah, this one's uh, hits close to home. Uh, I, I actually moved houses <laughs> uh, back in November, and I can tell you, uh, in addition to the stress of you know closing a sale uh, of an existing property mm-hmm. or, or an old property, uh, as well as the you know closing a new sale, moving a family, which includes or included it at that time a three-year-old, now a little older. Um, this was a particularly probably the most stressful point uh, in my entire journey was having my internet services moved. So for the past 12 or 13 years, I've been doing business with a, a, an organization that positions itself to an alternative to the big guys um, and built mm-hmm. a brand and built a business around that. I went through a three-week period of not having internet despite multiple visits to the house. Nobody could answer questions, was simply told over and over and again, you know, we're at the mercy of those who we, we purchased the whole, our, our, our wholesale lines from. Uh, and we don't have any transparency around when and 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 even if you, we will be able to get you up and running. Okay, so 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 this was I, I honestly started to measure the amount of time I spent on this. And again, Eric, moving houses with a three-year-old on top of all the normal stress as <laughs> part of the journey, not fun. And then trying to get you know the, the kid into school, like just not right. a joy, right? So the fact right. that I actually spent four to five, and I measured this, four to five hours and included somewhere upwards of 20 to 30 um, phone conversations with this company to finally have my internet uh, put into place was just likely the most horrendous you know, customer experience of my life. Um, and and mm-hmm. that's you know, 42 years plus now. The other side of it is I would say, I, I, same company, stuck with them just, being in Canada, lack of choices, you know, all this, we can have all these conversations and not wanting to use the big guys, uh, but stuck with the company just out of 12 years of loyalty uh, and said, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. This might've been a one-off. So had an internet outage last week. Um, We're now in an environment where working from home is the norm. And, you know, with COVID, the world flipped upside down and changed incredibly fast. So not having an internet connection and being, you know, fortunate enough to have clients and to be employed on a day-to-day basis, you can't serve those clients uh, without an internet connection. It is just an absolute must-have in the world we live in. (laughs) Correct. But wake up to an outage, call the company, and here's what I'm told. We have no ETA, and we can't tell you, um, one, we're not aware of the – of the outage. That was the first thing in your area. We thought we had one last night. We were told it was resolved. Uh, we are not aware of anything new. Spent half an hour on the line, proved to them that in fact I do not have internet. So this was their awareness point. Multiple mm-hmm. conversations go by in the morning and fundamentally I'm told many times, we really don't have an ETA. Our wholesaler or the company we wholesale the line off does not give us the information. 
that we need to serve right. you. So essentially what this organization has equipped and trained its staff to do is to play victim to their business model. And I would sure. encourage anybody, I don't care what business you're in, do not do this. Because if you do, you will <laughs> not be in business for long. It's as simple as right. that. Empower your employees with information. What's missing, in yep. my opinion, is a link between this company and the company they wholesale lines off. If you don't have that real-time mm -hmm. communication that a part of, you know, your provider's network goes down and now you know and are able to serve your end customer as the middleman, something has failed in your enablement capability, right? Right. The fact that I am educating their, their staff on, A, that you have an outage is a point of failure. Yep. The fact that I am being told openly that we don't have any knowledge or transparency on well this will occur, and, and you know, to be honest with you, sir, we are at the we are at the disposal of our of our wholesaler. Mm -hmm. I, I was kind of blown away by this, right? And I would say, as one right. of the key takeaways, I would say, just please, 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 equip your staff to serve your customers with information that's available when they need it, and do not right. ever play the victim to your own business model. Right. Because you chose that business model. That, that's something right. that was a that was a that that was a, a predefined knowledge. It's a question of knowing if you've got a customer, you still that's your customer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I think you know those are a couple of my my, my key takeaways, um, Eric. Um, one is you know customer experience is 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 a much broader problem than just training um, a frontline staff member. Uh, it's sure. really an integrated set of capabilities that, that need to be measured and continuously approved upon across process, across digital, mm -hmm. across human capital, across business rules, risk rules, uh, you name it. There's a yep. fundamentally more complicated problem to solve. Two, use mm -hmm. data to quickly understand where you're failing, where your points of failure are, as well as your points of, of of exceptional service. Not everything is broken. And the old adage, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. Stick with that because that's likely what's keeping your clients with you right now despite your other challenges. Exploit what's working. Do it better. Measure it and do it better as you fix the other areas of enablement. Three, use data. I, I think I can't stress this enough. Um, most organizations <laughs> are, are, are quick to measuring kind of this frontline NPS or, or, or some other sort of survey, but they're not going backwards from there, right? And, and tying into the piece of, uh, you know, broader enablement. We actually did this while I was internal at a large bank eight years ago. I had a very visionary boss uh, who built an analytics team that could measure every aspect of a national mortgage business. This is, you know, uh, 5,000 sales representatives uh, across every branch in Canada. Um, we could measure digitally every mortgage application from the point a client walked into a branch to any point in the process, uh, use that to measure touch points, cycle times, uh, number of incomplete applications. We could sit in front of sales leaders up until the CEO of this you know, big five bank and openly say, here's how we're serving our clients. Here's how we're tracking towards sales objectives on a lender by lender branch by branch, transit by transit level, uh, simply because we had the data and we could roll up and aggregate. 
Right. Sure. Um, so there's so much you can do. And in a world where A, data exists, B, you know, Tableau uh, and other uh, visualization tools um, have become far more prevalent and far more advanced, this is no longer very difficult to do. So use your data, enable measurement, uh, don't break or don't, you know, fix what's not broken, uh, drive change and empower your employees are, are kind of the key takeaways, I would say, are, are really important in the environment we live in today. They I, I think these are really good points. Yeah, they go do affect, they do, Sorry, uh, they do affect um, experience and perception. Mm -hmm. They do affect yep. profitability. Uh, this is an area that, again, using some of the earlier examples, um, mm -hmm. organizations don't do a good job of linking segmentation to the composition of work that is coming in the, the door through these clients and how efficient uh, that work is for them, i.e., you know, is it really high margin uh, and therefore deserves preferred uh, service and treatment, or is it not? And is it actually costing us more money than we thought? Right. right. I, 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 what I love about your examples that you've shared is, is you've gone kind of beyond kind of looking at things from a, what I would say, traditional customer experience of let's just make it better, but also trying to tie it to ways to monetize it. Um, and, and I think that's a struggle a lot of organizations have had is, is it just a do better from a customer experience standpoint, or are there some ways where in an environment like the crisis we're in right now, maybe the customer experience work you have is more tied into true points of failures, true issues that are gonna cost, cost you your bottom line, like your segmentation examples, to, to be much more laser focused in terms of where you drive improvements. Was, was that something you would, you'd agree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I would say that's, that, that's right on. Um, Data-driven, end-to-end perspectives of experience uh, and profitability are, are really what are going to set you apart at this point in time. Um, in an Great. environment where you know profitability is stressed, um, I'd say significantly so for the vast majority of organizations. Um, exploiting your strengths, knowing where your your Knowing your customers to a, a, a very detailed and intimate level using data, data uh, both in terms of what their expectations are and how you're serving them, but also how that links back to your profitability is critical. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there are customers yep. who, to be very honest with you, don't add much to your bottom line and, and you should actually focus your yep. resources towards those who do add quite a bit to your bottom line. Right. Uh, this is a, a prime example of how you then grow and exploit your profitability. Or, or even right, fire so, customers in some cases, right? Because in some cases, I, I, maybe they're, you're losing on some customers. I would, I would absolutely agree. And yes, I have seen that in the work that we've done to date as well. Right, and I know that's that, a big no-no for, for most organizations, but at a certain point, the effort involved is not worth the return on, you know, or contribution to profitability. Or, or the customers that you're, you're giving deluxe Cadillac service to, um, like in the examples you shared, aren't your high margin customers and that's a problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing your ideas, your insights, and, and really talking about 
a view of how do you manage customer experience in these challenging times, but most importantly that, that this is something that people and organizations still need to focus on. They may need to pivot a little bit in terms of the approach and, and be more laser focused on things that drive improvement. Um, your examples of looking at 10 really resonate and always have resonated with me uh, because I, I've seen so many times in an organization where somebody decides I'm going to cut $2 million in this budget and then they cost $6 million somewhere else because of that little cut of a brochure or document that went in um, and it just called in, caused more calls to our customer experience, things like that, um, that all things that, that impact the journey but also impact profitability. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your insights. Uh, great to have you on the show. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.